what's up everybody thank you so much for joining me for another episode of talking each other home my name is danny your host and today i am so excited to welcome sam kabert to the show so i know i say this probably every time <laughs> but for real this time this is probably one of my favorite podcasts to record. It was very nourishing for my soul. And it was also very resonant in his journey from building a million dollar business, being awarded uh, Silicon Valley's top 40 under 40 years old at the age of 31, all the way to taking a very spiritual path in life and even going down yoga teacher training and now becoming a keynote speaker and publishing books. So I was just like, oh my goodness, because you guys know my journey from bodybuilding, flipping the script on everybody and going very, very spiritual. And so now I'm starting to, I'm, I'm starting to make my way that way. And like super inspired by the fact that he wrote this book called soul life balance and all of the amazing things that are in it. Um, so just a little bit about the book, some stuff that you can expect to hear in this podcast and find in the book is learning how to integrate after retreats, after spiritual awakenings, after going through different kinds of plant medicine ceremonies, inner child work, shadow work, getting uncomfortable. Uh, we even talk a little bit about yoga, which, you know, of course I love and um, how to prepare for a spiritual awakening and stay open. We even talk about synchronicities, which you guys know, if you don't, I live for synchronicities, um, getting little winks, little signs from the universe is probably like one of my favorite things ever, <laughs> whether it be repeating numbers or little animals that come to me. So we talk a little bit about synchronicities, synchronicities, and we also talk about, uh, aliens and extraterrestrial things and UFO things. And so I encourage you to go to Amazon, go to, go to soulseekers.com and find Sam's book called soul life balance. It is incredible. And I highly recommend it for anybody and everybody who's on the spiritual path. Um, and he also has this, this glossary that he made of spiritual terms. So if you are new to the spiritual journey and you're hearing all of these different words being thrown around and you have no idea what people are talking about, he actually made a glossary of terms. So you can identify like, what does it mean to say, I feel called to this. What does synchronicity mean? What do all these terms mean? So I encourage you to go check out Sam and the work that he's doing and the book that he wrote. Uh, it's amazing and full of great value. And I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it. And I can't wait to listen and watch this back and to collaborate more with Sam in the future. So enjoy the podcast, everybody. Thank you for joining me for another one. And I will see you on the next one. And before we go on, just a quick, a very quick note from our sponsors, Conscious Champion, my business and my tribe and my baby. Uh, so really, and I'm just going to make this quick because I want you guys to get into this podcast with Sam, but I just want to say thank you. I just want to give a shout out right now to my tribe. Uh, those that have been through Conscious Champion and those that are in the mastermind with me right now, I just want to give you a sincere heartfelt thank you for your support, for your encouragement, for walking this path with me of spiritual awakening and self-discovery and going into all of these parts of ourselves to become an even lighter, brighter version of who we are. And so this podcast felt really resonant with all the work that we're doing. And I just wanted to say, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for your support. And I love having you part of the tribe. And I love being a part of yours. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I cannot wait to see some of you, as many of you that can join at the retreats that we have coming up this summer and fall, be on the lookout. Colorado and Sedona are waiting for us, you guys. 
All right, everybody, without further ado, enjoy this podcast with Sam and um, I will see you soon. Sam, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Danny. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. And I'm so excited to talk to you today for so many reasons. Um, And I have kind of a lot of questions. Uh, (laughs) And so I guess let's just jump right in. So I definitely want to talk about your book, Soul Life Balance. And before we get deeper into that, because I don't think my audience knows who you are yet, I'd like to just give like a brief synopsis of kind of where you came from and what got you to this point and maybe how our paths intersected in Sedona. And then Mm -hmm. we'll kind of get in a little bit deeper. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So my deal is uh, I lived in Silicon Valley. I grew up out there as well and fell into like the whole business trap, if you will. And my background is in entrepreneurship. I started my first business in college uh, back uh, about 11 years ago. I'm 33, which eventually was rebranded into what it's known as now as Swagworks. We sell swag, very easy to understand, branded merchandise, all that type of stuff. But as a guy in Silicon Valley, it was really hard to get respect, you know, in terms of like all the tech and the startup scene and everything else. Someone who is just like selling branded merchandise, it was, it was really difficult. So I re, um, I positioned the company to be more than just like a swag agency. We did video production, graphic design, web development. So more of a marketing branding agency, which was helpful. And then I got on into networking. I was on the board of two nonprofits by the age of 23. And one of them was the Santa Clara Chamber of Commerce around the same time the San Francisco 49ers were moving to Santa Clara. So since it was in the same town, we're really well connected with the San Francisco 49ers, tech companies like eBay, Intel, Adobe, to name a few. And I started chairing the Silicon Valley Young Professionals. We had a monthly mixers and networking events. So very much like in the grind. And then 2016, I looked around, I saw some friends and different people doing content creation. I wanted to start podcasts. So it took me about three months, but I eventually uh, launched a podcast called What Up Silicon Valley in January 2017 with my co-host Sergio and another friend, Pal Vinder, who was our AV guy. He helped us with like all the equipment and all that type of stuff. Within a couple of months, we were partnered with the Silicon Valley Business Journal with a baller networking club in Silicon Valley called the Silicon Valley Capital Club, um, you know, high rise, the whole thing, all the networking and all that. So we actually had like sponsorships right away. We were interviewing Super Bowl champions, all kinds of stuff, the movers and shakers of Silicon Valley. We rebranded um, to become a media agency and we had five total podcasts on the uh, network. And then we would have an annual event at eBay's headquarters called Pitch Tank, which was our version of Shark Tank. And meanwhile, like I was dating a 49ers cheerleader as well at the time. So just like living my best life dream, you know, had two other podcasts as well. One called Brand Hero, another called Mojo Mondays, had a food show on YouTube called uh, Eat Up Silicon Valley. And I wrote three books in a year. So I did so many things like, and people would ask me, how are you able to do so much? You know, I was like VAs. People are like, what's a VA? I was like virtual assistant. So my first book was on working with virtual assistants and things like that. And then I became known as like the VA guy. This all kind of culminated into being named Silicon Valley's 40 under 40 list at the age of 31. Then through just like a numbing depression could get into all that. 
that found me sitting in an ayahuasca ceremony in 2019. After that first night of ceremony, I was like, show me everything. So since April of 2019, I've been going deep, deep, deep with blinders on in terms of the spiritual path. And, you know, just to summarize it i call myself a serial entrepreneur turned spiritual seeker um and that's really it and now i i'm at like that 12th step of the hero's journey of this cycle of the past about three years doing a deep dive of spirituality to bring what i've learned back to people that are starting to feel like oh maybe there is something more than just working you know what i mean and that's where my book it's called soul life balance and my platform being a reframe of work like work-life balance to soul-life balance is what it's all about. Mm, wow. I love it. So you were super in the material world, very busy in the hustle culture. And I feel like so many of us kind of got uh, sucked into that, but maybe it was like training ground for what you're doing now. So yeah. are there ways that maybe it set you up to go on your spiritual journey? Big time. That's a great observation right there and reflection in so many ways. Like I needed to learn those skills. Like, you know, I don't know why I wrote three books in a year. Who does that? Right. You know, and I wasn't spiritual at the time. I didn't really know about the concept of like something wanting to be birthed out <laughs> from me or anything like that. And a uh, part of it was ego driven, but a part of it was also like wanting to share. Like there's my second book was called, is called the written goal, the mindset behind writing your goals down reading them daily is the subtitle. And, uh, I felt myself getting complacent because I built my business up to a million dollar business while working less than four hours a day. And I always say the best entrepreneurs and the best salespeople, like when things are crushing, they go pedal to the metal. Well, that's not me. Like when things are going great, that's when I coast. And then when I need to hustle again, I'll hustle. So I felt myself coasting and I was like, you know, I'm just going to write down and document what's worked for me. So if she ever hits the fan, I can go back to my own system. So it was really like not a workbook because it's very much a book, but it also has like worksheets and exercises and how to, whereas like, you know, one of my favorite books of all time is called Think and Grow Rich from 1937, Napoleon Hill's famous book. But in that book, like he's dropping little hints and like little ways to do it throughout the whole thing. I actually took his book and created my own roadmap uh, based off of that. And a lot of ways, that's what the written goal is about. So it's just like a fast track for if things ever went bad, I could always go back to what works for me. So yes, so some of it was that. It was also, you know, maybe I can help some people in the process, but I never really like put any promotion into those books. Books. I didn't do any sort of circuit. I didn't, you know, try to become a best-selling author. It was just like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing this. And then, you know, I started a coaching business, teaching entrepreneurs how to build and scale their business by building out virtual teams. And I was able to say like, oh, I've produced nine podcasts, five of my own. I wrote three books in a year. I've had successful businesses. I have a food show on YouTube. So like, to your point, it was like, oh, I had to do these things in order to get here. And then through writing Soul Life Balance, I was like, oh, I had to write those first three books to learn the process so that this book could be as, you know, as its ultimate potential it could be. So yeah, I've actually, um, it's very wise of you to see that for sure. 
Thanks. I appreciate that so much. And I relate to your journey um, bef before I went really blinders in the spirituality. And maybe we have a very similar like makeup or human design or something like that. Mm. But I was a pro athlete before second in the world at bodybuilding and then was like, what am I doing up here? Like do. And so I didn't want to do what I was doing anymore. And then I totally went blinders on full force into spirituality. And now I'm seeing how the lessons and things that that trained me for are helping me now with my spiritual journey, like get through the uncomfortable part, keep going, like keep in and just trusting and believing and taught me so many different things that if I hadn't done that athlete journey for 10 years of my life, then I don't know that I would be um, as hard in the paint as I am with spirituality. And like, I'm so, and totally. before I used to try to like hide that part of me and like shove that down, but it was now I'm becoming more grateful for it and like integrating that part of me and it's helping me go forward. So it just reminded me when you were speaking about your journey and your climb to the top, um, how it had to have set you up for what you're doing now, because that's the way life works, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. And really to learn that commitment and discipline and, you know, it's, it's this balance. We could get into all that of like the hustle culture. Cause I don't believe in like, I think Gary V is like very toxic, you know, but then on the other side of it, we see in spirituality, like a lot of spiritual bypassing and a lot of like, well, like I'm just singing my intuition and now is not the right time or like whatever the thing might be. And it's a blend of both, you know, and because you and I are stories of like being so much in our masculine of structure, achieve, do, and I don't know specifically, I could be projecting or making assumptions, but like, at least for me, it's been like learning to be in the feminine. And I have noticed through sitting in the feminine, I've gone completely the other way. Right. And that's what this whole balance is about, because the, what I call soul life balance, not only is soul part of like the archetypal energy of the feminine, which is also the yin but life is the archetypal energy of the masculine and yang. And what's interesting too, about like work-life balance, like work-life balance, both of those are masculine energy types. They both require obligations and structure. So where is the fe feminine, more flow type archetypal energy, you know? I, my mind is blown even just by the, <laughs> by the yin and the yang and the masculine feminine, the way that you um, articulated um, life work balance is totally more masculine energy. And something that I'm bringing to my communities right now is learning about the feminine, because like you said, it's been, um, my work to get more into the feminine. And even now with running a business and a podcast and an online community, I so often have to stop myself and be like, go outside, go for a walk, get away from your computer, stop working because it's fun to work, especially when you love what you're doing at the time. It's like, it's just like lights you up. Um, so let's talk, because I think a lot of people, let's talk a little bit about the difference between masculine and feminine and mm -hmm. like most of our culture, I feel like is in very much of the masculine and they feel like if they're not there, then they're failing. Um, so I'd yeah, like yeah. to talk, yeah, about the feminine intuition soul part. Yeah, absolutely. So with the soul, the feminine, the yin, all of that, you know, it's really sitting in it. And I just got off a call with a good friend of mine and someone I met through a yoga teacher training a few months ago, and she's really going through it right now. And part of what she personally is working on is like the discomfort in sitting with yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to like, I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard to think backwards. Like I talk about this a lot in the book and everything, like ways to slow down through nature, through breath work, all, all kinds of different ways. But like, 
one thing in terms of human design, I know I'm all over the place, but I'm a manifester and I didn't realize this about myself through until doing human design, but like my archetype is that of the hermit and through learning about, uh, human design and the lockdowns of 2020, it mm -hmm. re really gave me that metaphorical permission slip to just be okay with being by myself because before I would shame myself, be like, Oh, it's Friday night, Saturday night. I need to be out doing things like who am I? I'm a loser. If I'm not doing things with other people or just whatever. And Honestly, like I actually enjoy being by myself more than I enjoy being with like a big group of people. And I feel like it takes me a lot to re-energize after being with people. So, you know, it really does start with the discomfort of kind of going within. And what does that look like? There's so many different ways. And one thing I would invite people to consider is like when we talk about ways to sit in silence with yourself or the feminine or flow intuition all these type of things the modalities that are often most commonly talked about are like breath work or meditation or journaling or going in nature and listening or reflection time for reflection time for contemplation all these sorts of things creative expression and what happens is there's so many people myself included that go okay i'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to do five minutes of breath work. Then I'm going to do 20 minutes of meditation. Then I'm going to do 20 minutes of journaling. Then I'm going to go outside on 30 minute walk. Right. And it's like, check, 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 check. And then if you don't check it off, you start shaming yourself. And like, to me, it's like, what are we doing here, people? Because now you just turn that into the masculine. What these are, activities are meant to bring you more into flow and, uh, you know, intuition and being with yourself. Now we've just approached it like the masculine. So what I do now is like, Yes, I have certain things that I like to do and I want to do, but I don't shame myself and I don't should myself into doing it. I check in with myself and I go, okay, I know I said last night I was going to do a 45 minute guided breathwork meditation when I wake up to really go deeper than that five minute practice. Well, you know what? I just don't feel like it right now. And that's okay. So I think it's really important to be present with where you're at in the current moment. Mm. It's so funny that you mentioned that. So like, I'm a big, you know, I, I like my morning routine. I sit over there and I meditate and I love it. And, um, you know, recently it's kind of been, I guess, draining my energy. I met with my mentor and she's like, Danny, I feel like your energy is being drained from your practices. She's like, I think you should maybe take a little step back from your devotional practices in the morning. Um, and I did for, and I was like a little bit nervous, you know, like if I don't do this, am I going to be connected all day? Like, am I going to trust? I have a lot of things going on. And so this week has been a week of me not meditating in the morning, not pulling my cards and doing my thing. And like, just watching it, like everything is still okay. I am still connected. Everything's gone off without a hitch. And it's like leaning into the trust and out of the structure. So even like like we said, like those, um, feminine practices can get structured, um, and feel like a checkbox. And then if we don't do it, we feel like our whole day is going to spiral. So I'm so happy that you mentioned that. Cause I'm like on like day four or five of that. And like, everything's okay. I'm still alive. <laughs> so that's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Cool that you mentioned that. Um, Okay. We, so we talked a little bit about getting uncomfortable. And I think that some people think that when they go through a spiritual awakening, it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows and like, you know, peace and love and joy. But I feel like with plant medicine, with awakening, with shadow work, with inner child work, it's not 
very comfortable at all, actually. Like you get moments of comfort and moments of joy and bliss, but it's like after you've kind of gone through the uncomfortableness, um, what's your journey been like with that? Yeah. I mean, a spiritual awakening experience, you know, uh, the subtitle of my book is a guide to igniting and spirit, a guide to igniting and integrating spiritual awakenings. And the title before that was going to be a guide to igniting and integrating spiritual awakening experiences. And my author coach really made a strong push to leave off the word experiences. And I was like, no, that's what the whole book is about. Like the whole book is about like, it's a spiritual awakening experience. And it's not necessarily this ongoing state of like awakening. And we can get into all that, but I eventually dropped it. She convinced me, which I'm really grateful for because it's kind of limiting and it brings up too many questions there, which having said that in the early part of the book, I go pretty deep into like the difference of an awakening and an awakening experience, because the truth is it's my belief that so many people, there are very few people that are in a constant state of quote unquote, like awakening, like awakening in the dream. And yes, we are like, uh, more awakened than we were before, but it's oftentimes it's an experience. And then we come back to normal day life. So how do we integrate back to normal day life? And, you know, today's been one of those mornings when I started much earlier than I did. And I've just been kind of drinking too much coffee, haven't done any of my own practices. So having said all that, I actually forgot your question in my rant there. Can you remind me what your question was? (laughs) It was about um, getting uncomfortable, basically to get through it to the other side of anything that we do spiritually. Right. Yeah. So that's where I was going with this. So a spiritual awakening experience is extremely disorienting. Like, honestly, for when you get to that point, um, what's up is down. it It seems opposites. You know, you might be thinking about how you just experience the totality of the universe and how maybe time doesn't exist and all your, your lifetimes on this plant and other plants are playing out once. And how does your consciousness plug into this specific ego identity right now in this timeline of that ego? And you can get really lost and just want to get thirsty for knowledge and keep going more and more and more. And other things that have happened for me too, are like, I suffer with just wanting to give up. Um, I remember in like 2019, people around me being like, no, the world's waking up. Like, no, there is a massive shift happening. I'm like, y'all have been probably been saying this for 50 years, like nothing's changing. And when the lockdowns first happened, when COVID first happened, I actually got extremely excited with all due respect, because, you know, I think most of us in spirituality understand the concept of like the Phoenix, you know, to rise again, the fire transformation, to burn down, to rebuild. And I actually pulled a fire card four days in a row when the lockdowns first happened. So it confirmed how I was already feeling. And for me, like one thing I question, and this is me getting lost in my own, trying to make sense of the human experience, but did COVID and the lockdowns happen because I woke up? So therefore the reflection in the outer world changed because that is my perceived experience, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's all these thought patterns and that's why I think it's so important to 
maintain and do the practice of soul life balance because we can get so lost in the ethereal and just like going deeper in spirituality which kind of negates the whole point of being here human now and then also like we've been in this state of being overly human with a severed connection to our soul where we've lost our ways and that's why many of us have signed up to be here now to rebuild that so we can't be too much in our human nor should we be too much in our ethereal ethereal self so it's kind of that blend how can we really maintain our center in it all that was a huge lesson for me um was maintaining the balance because i was very much in my human with bodybuilding i mean everything you're mm -hmm. judged on is your physical appearance doesn't matter that i had a master's doesn't matter that i had x y and z it was just like how do you look today and so i was concerned with that from the age 14 till 27 and then i was like okay done with this and then i went really spiritual didn't work out for like four five years it's been really hard for me to get back into that physical world actually yoga has helped me a lot but i learned that like it's not good to discredit either of them. And it's not good to go too extreme, extreme to either of them, because then you're, if you go to spirit, you're actually dishonoring your incarnation. If you go to human, you're actually dishonoring your spirit and what gives you life. So it's like, it is bringing that beautiful balance. And like Ram Das is my favorite. He's my love. And he brought that, he said something in one of his talks. And I was like, after he had a stroke, he was like, Oh, this body does kind of matter. Like it is a thing. So I love that you brought up that experience too, of like being both human and being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Are you into Adi Shanti's work? A little bit. Yeah. I've heard some things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, he's been big for me. Um, but yeah, anyway, Ramdas, great too. <laughs> um, Speaking about getting uncomfortable. So, and I'm also, as you were talking, I was thinking about balance and how in life, everything in the universe, everything is balanced, like up and down, good and bad, dark and light. Um, you know, with every action, there's an equal reaction, stuff like that. So you mentioned like going through a deep depression and then mm -hmm. now you're on the other side of it and almost in like a really joyful, peaceful, blissful state. And I even think about the balance with that too. Like sometimes we have to get to that state and, and if we get through it to get to the other one, um, can you talk a little bit about that journey from like, and then I, I know you did ayahuasca. So like, what was that? What flipped you around during ayahuasca? Yeah. So back in 2019, um, at the time I was staying this girl, we were together for like four years on and off. And then it like, it was the epitome of an on and off relationship. Like we literally had to have broken up like 50 times, maybe like 30 of those being for like two days or a week or something. And, you know, probably 10 to 15 times of her living at my house and then moving out and like, you know, like the common stuff at my house, but her having her own home place. Anyway, um, you know, this final time, like it was done, done. And I kind of knew it and it was hard to process it because that became almost like a game we were playing, you know, it was like, Oh, we're going to get back to here. Okay. You know, one of us blew up and uh, we'll give it some time and then we'll get back together. Oh, wait, we're not, you know? And, um, that numbing depression, I had never, the only other time I really remember feeling that was about eight years before that, when on Super Bowl Sunday, I was in the living room and one of my friends was in his room and his older brother came to the house, kicked down his door and he was hanging on a ceiling fan. And he ended up being on life support for two weeks later until his family pulled the plug. So having integrated, you know, a suicide that I was in the house for and experienced firsthand, it was a very confusing 
place to be. Um, and at the time, I was 22 or something. And I remember just a few years before that, I was a metalhead. And, you know, I probably wanted flames, tattoos on, on myself and skulls and things like that. But I never got it, got them. But I remember going to like a restaurant somewhere in Florida, of course. And there was like a biker with like flames and skulls and all this. And I'm like, it was just so triggering because I realized that I had seen the movie, What Dreams May Come at a young age with Robin Williams. And basically the movie is about, no spoilers here, it's what it's about, but Robin Williams um, dies and then his wife ends up killing herself. And because she killed herself, she was going to hell. So the whole movie was about him going to hell to save her. So now that I've seen that movie as a young kid and I just experienced a friend suicide, I'm thinking, he's in hell, you know, and then I'm thinking flame skulls and my, you know, attachment to metal and, you know, liking that stuff and being so disturbed by it all. And I remember like going to the gym, simple things like that, where, you know, wherever it'd be and people are just living their lives and just feeling numb. So anyways, that was that. And then fast forwarding to 2019 through this breakup, that's when I felt that numbing depression again. And I had like, you know, probably 30 days, a month or so of maybe a few hours of sleep a night. And when I'd wake up, I had plenty of energy. It wasn't like an enthusiastic energy. It was like an alertness. Like I don't even feel alert right now in this current moment we're doing this podcast. I feel like I woke up two hours earlier than I usually did. Didn't do my routines. I'm jacked up on coffee. After this, I'm going on a six hour trip. Like I'm very much not in alignment, but that's <laughs> fine. It's about bringing awareness to where you're at without judgment and understanding that mm -hmm. point being, in 2019 with um, that numbing depression, like I was so alert with no sleep. And it was just like this, this weird numbness. And I had heard of ayahuasca about a year previously. And I was curious, I was terrified. And I've always considered myself like spiritual, but not knowing there's like you could choose to be spiritual. Like I'm Jewish and I grew up with bar mitzvah. I'm Jewish and I identify as that and everything. But I've never felt religious and I've always re rebelled against organized religion and just happened to be mine was Judaism. And I always say I was spiritual, but not knowing that was like actually an option or there was a thing to that. So when I heard about ayahuasca, I was like, oh, that sounds terrifying. But yeah, I feel like I'll be doing that one day. Ayahuasca came back into my being during this uh, numbing depression in 2019 and as it did, I, it was just, I didn't know what synchronicities were at the time. And, um, I just had a lot of synchronicities and messages and guidance that led me to a ceremony. And I just was like, I'll do anything. So I did that. And the specifics of the journey itself are like kind of fuzzy at this point, but it brought me to that state of ultimate loveness. And at the end of the night, just repeating to myself, it's so simple. It's so simple over and over again. And then having a few like major messages in the 3d form outside the medicine space right after that, um, confirming everything. So then that's when I was like, all right, like there's definitely something here. And then I went blinders. I went blinders on, on spirituality. Like my relationships were uh, all spiritual at that point. All the content I would, I would consume was around spirituality and everything else. And this has just been this major journey since then. 
Amazing. Uh, have you ever done any other kind of plant medicine other than ayahuasca? Uh, yes, I have. Um, right after that, I did a psilocybin ceremony for healing, which I didn't even know, like you could do mushrooms for healing at the time, even though I had done mushrooms a million times recreationally before that. And then from there, like in, in the past three years, that law ceremonies, whether it be Wachuma, peyote, 5-MeO, Bufo, um, and what I could speak on this too, but a lot of what I wrote about in the book is about integrating and giving space to it because I found that after the first two ceremonies I had, about six to seven months went by where I didn't do any medicine. It was just integrating. Mm -hmm. Then I went through this period of chasing ceremony to ceremony without the proper integration and no judgment on myself or anyone else, but I feel like a lot of us just like get want more and we keep going back and you know i don't believe that we're meant to always go back in that space you know i agree um and i'm glad that you mentioned that because that was one of my questions about i want to talk about the importance of integration because i've found that like a lot of people just keep doing ceremony after ceremony or retreat after retreat without ever letting those lessons integrate um, and so they almost get addicted to like being at the retreat or being at the ceremony. And I don't know that that's, you know, of course it's not the most healthy way to do it, but I just want to talk a little bit about integration, what you can do to integrate, um, and like why it's important. Yeah, it's so important. One of the things that I've found interesting is like, when we talk about plant medicine, the talk is like, oh, taking the medicine is 10% of it, but integration is 90% of the work. Yet all the talk is about which medicines, what the medicines do, and there's not the talk about integration. And I feel like there's, um, it's, this is the, I guess you could say the shadow side of medicine work, but like, you know, not that many people talk about like how important it is to properly integrate and to put the space in between ceremonies. There's a time for when it makes sense to keep going back to the medicine when you're working through certain traumas and everything else. But at a certain point, if you're going through all these ceremonies and it does make sense, it's like aligning with the whispers, the intuition, your discernment and everything else. It can be hard to backtrack and just like fully integrate and be human because now that's almost become your routine. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's massively important. We're not meant to be in this state full time. And I'm just going to pull up my book here because there's a graphic I made to actually help. Um, and I don't have it memorized, but essentially like Joseph Campbell's heroes, uh, journey yeah, yeah, archetype. Yeah. yeah. Like that, the 12 step it's so crucial. And there's a uh, 271. I'm just going to pull this up. Um, I kind of made my own little model to help people with uh, plant medicine ceremonies. And it's inspired by Joseph Campbell's 12 step hero's journey. And it starts like his with normal life. Right. And then the next thing would be the introduction to medicine, or maybe it's a reintroduction, right? Now that I've done all these various medicines, it would be a reintroduction and came into my field for whatever reason. Next is is it calling? Do I feel called? Are there synchronicities that are really guiding me there? Am I using my discernment and intuition to make a decision if this is a good time or not? 
from there taking the medicine 10% like we talked about from there integration 90% which leads you to a heightened awareness of the human experience which brings you back to the top of the circle into integrating back into normal life well where i found i was stuck was i wasn't completing the loop i was actually working myself backwards and going back into the introduction of medicine again versus going back to normal life so i think it's really important to properly integrate into normal life now when we say integrate there's a lot of different things and that can come up from people for people and it could be like oh to integrate that means i'm going to make time on a daily basis to do my spiritual practices and not have judgment on myself if i don't do them right but also integrating back into like humaning just the everyday stuff maybe like if before i was like i don't watch tv and if i watch tv it's gaia you know it's like <laughs> well it's okay to watch a, a mindless show or movie right or like eat bad food or something like that and that's where the balance comes in for me what that really looked like is I was in fit for service for two years, nonstop consecutive the whole time. And all of the content I would consume, whether through the program of fit for service or my outside uh, content I would consume and the relationships I was with, everything was spiritual and it was a fast track. And I absolutely am so grateful grateful and such an amazing experience. And my best friends still to this day are from that community. But at the same time, the way I handled that was still with blinders on even before I joined the fellowship, like I already had blinders on spirituality. So I had to reopen myself back up to like, consuming business content, or maybe the mindful, mindless TV, you know, all those sorts of things, which that is normal life, right? So integration could be the practices, but then also like being in the matrix, because we are, how can you be in the matrix, but not of it, right? Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. And I, when I felt like I, when I, after I got back from Sedona from fit for service, um, I felt like the real work began, like it was nice and fun and sparkly to go to Sedona with everybody and kind of be in that spiritual bubble. And everybody wants to talk about what you want to talk about, but then it's like coming back and being with your family, but still in that space, being out in yoga, but still in that space inside. Um, so for me, it was like the work happened when I came back to real life. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was kind of, it was fun to touch that spot. So I'm glad that you mentioned coming back to real life. I just had one of my girls that's in my community. She went to Utah or somewhere out West and she like had a hard time coming back to like her job and going to the gym and training people because she was feeling like, I think she had a little bit of an awakening there and didn't mm -hmm. super realize what was happening, but she came back and she's like, what am I doing? Like what? I miss this nature. I miss everything that like happened when we were there. And, and I told her like, part of that is you have to integrate your kind of spiritual experience back into the human world um because it's part of it absolutely yeah and there's a a parallel between like peak experiences and spiritual awakening experiences because one of the components of a peak experience includes the spiritual feeling so we can get into semantics in terms of like what the difference is between uh, a peak experience like going on a retreat not saying that one specifically or not but like a vacation or whatever it might be mm -hmm. but, but these principles to integrate are very similar whether it be a peak experience or a spiritual awakening experience you know Yes. So principles to integrate would be mm -hmm. kind of what you said before, going back into normal life, or are there more that you recommend? 
Yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff in the book that I put there, um, you know, and I, uh, there's, there's a lot of different options. I think, um, you know, all the normal stuff gets talked about in terms of like, uh, nature, journaling, meditation, breath work, all the things, check the boxes, but also for me, what's so big is creative expressions. Right. And, I used to do triathlons only for like a year or two, but um, that was back in 2015. And when I started meditating in 2018, I was like, oh, this is like gives me the feeling of when I run or when I do swimming, you know, and for me, like, I am not, I'll be the first to say it. I'm not the best meditator and I rarely meditate to be honest. Um, it's not something that fills my cup when I do it. It feels like it's something that I'm, I need to do. So I don't do it. And I really enjoy other things like yoga. That's my form of meditation, a moving mindfulness meditation, or even being out in the ocean. I live in Santa Cruz, uh, 60 seconds away from the ocean um, and surfing, you know, like it's a very, spiritual practice so finding something that resonates with you and not being like oh i'm going to meditate because everyone says that is the pathway to be a more spiritual person you know 100 100 and uh like i was listening to a ram das thing again of course and he was saying how like all practices are traps and mm. it's like all the space to where, okay, we meditate and we're really good at it or, or whatever. And we do it every day, but now you're starting to become attached and now you're caught again. Now you're trapped. And the point of all of this is non-attachment. So like every practice that we get into, even chanting or bhakti or whatever it is, um, I just thought that was interesting because I'm going through this week-long practice yeah. of not meditating. Um and Santa Cruz, I didn't know you lived there. I want to visit Santa Cruz. So but I'm like a redwood freak. Like I would love oh, nice. to be around the big trees and like everything like that. And actually my husband's job, like his headquarters for where he works is located in Silicon Valley over there on the other side. So nice. we, we look at houses over in Santa Cruz all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. We, we should connect <laughs> offline and talk more about that and everything, but yeah, it's such a beautiful place. And that was one of the first things I did after ayahuasca I moved from Silicon Valley to Santa Cruz. <laughs> so yeah, go figure. <laughs> um, okay. So you mentioned yoga and you did yoga teacher training. I'd love to talk a little bit about this. Um, what inspired you to do teacher training instead of just being a student? That's such a great question. Um, yoga has been my number one practice in tar terms of integration. And I started doing yoga probably in 20, late 2018 or so. And I mean, besides all my travel that I do, if I'm home, I'm usually going yoga um, daily, almost daily, sometimes two a days. And I mean, there's been times when I would go two or three times a day at just different studios and just like kind of pretend I'm doing like my own little yoga, um, retreat, if you will. Okay. And I've been told by people to, uh, check out yoga teacher training. I've always been so resistant because I was like, I don't want to teach. And they're like, well, most people that go don't want, actually don't want to teach. So I was like, okay, whatever. And then I was grabbing coffee with the owner of the local studio here in town. And she mentioned, oh, I saw you were in a, at the Bodhi tree in Asara back in May. That's where I did my yoga teacher training. I go, no way. That's amazing. And I started talking with her about it. And she said, I think you would really like it. I go, oh, okay. And she goes, Bodhi tree is an amazing place to do it. It's a yoga resort in Asara in Costa Rica. Wow. And I was like, that'd be interesting. So I went home that night. And I looked up on the Bodhi Trees website when they have yoga teacher trainings. And the next one was in two weeks. And I was like, hmm, 
well, <laughs> you know, I have a few businesses. My main business is called Swagworks. We do swag brand merchandise. And our slowest time of year is like Thanksgiving to New Year's pretty much because you know, holiday gifts are huge in our industry. But if you haven't put an order in by Thanksgiving and you want holiday gifts, it's too late anyways. So at that point, like I already knew on paper, like, oh, this lines up, you know, like this is a great time a year ago. I also knew because I just went to Costa Rica for a month in May for the first time um, that the wet season is about May to end of October, November. So the dry season was just about to start if I were to go there then. And I also know that November and December is my time that I'm most depressed uh, for a variety of reasons. And that could be a really good opportunity to integrate the past two and a half years of uh, my spiritual deep dive and not, not leaving fit for service, but I did two years like straight of it and just kind of integrating the experience to have it culminate in yoga. So everything on paper, like from the more structural type of uh, like pros and cons uh, approach was like, oh yeah, this is, a, this is a yes. And I'm so big on connecting with my guides and like my spirit team and all that. Like, I feel like it's a one-way conversation sometimes because I'm not one of those people who channels and hears things back, but synchronicities is the way it comes through in terms of mm -hmm. it being a two-way relationship. And because of that and embodying soul life balance, I was like, okay, I need like three solid signs. And they all came in and one, I don't remember them all off the top of my head. I know one of them was I went to a random birthday party, started talking to this guy I didn't know. And he mentioned something about how he had a friend, a guy that was doing a yoga teacher training in Costa Rica without me even bringing it up. And I was like, well, that is definitely a sign right there. So that was one of them. And there were a few more. And at that point I looked up the teachers that were doing it. I looked them up on YouTube to see their style, see if they resonate, checked out their Instagram, their website. I was like, all right, they still look good. And it was really uncomfortable. You know, it was, I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Uh, you know, everything lines up on paper. The, all the signs are here. I don't want to be a yoga teacher. I don't know why, except like this feels right. Um, so I did it. And the second night there, I was like, I need to show up differently because the way I sh was showing up saying to myself and others like, Hey, I don't want to be a yoga teacher. It was having me show up differently. Um, then it, I was kind of closed off. So I was like, okay, I need approaches as if I w were to be a yoga teacher and fast forward a few months later. Now I've been teaching yoga twice a week and leading uh, men's circles at the local yoga studio here and couldn't feel more fulfilled. So it's just, it's, and I get spirit chills just thinking about that, but, and now I'm getting into keynote speaking as well, which was something that, you know, I had wanted to get into, but haven't taken the actions to get to. And, you know, I've been able to move through the anxiety of leading yoga classes, whether it be like the public speaking aspect to it, even though it's like a small group compared to keynote speaking or the anxiety of like, you know, the voices in my head, all that type of stuff to now, like I've only taught like maybe a total of 20 times, probably less than that. But now I can just show up without anxiety, without having to go over the playlist before, without having to go over the sequence before, just knowing I got this. And all of that is our transferable skills as I now start 
the new path I'm going into, into keynote speaking. So it's so interesting to, you know, look backwards and see how the puzzles, the puzzle pieces fit, you know? It is super interesting. And did you guys, I mean, I heard in one of your other podcasts about the eight limbs. So Mm -hmm. something that like got me so excited for yoga was that there was eight limbs and only one of them were physical postures and the rest of them were not. And I was like, okay, this is a philosophy that I can get behind. And like, after I left bodybuilding, I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to eat. Mm. Like everything that I knew was like flipped on its head and I wanted nothing to do with any of it. And so when I did teacher training and learned about the eight limbs, I was like, I understand the postures. Anatomy is like second nature to me, but like, tell me about the limbs, tell me about the withdrawal (laughs) of the senses and like the yamas and niyamas. And so, um, I, I heard that you shared a similar excitement for it too. So yeah, exactly. Same, same here. And I was that student in yoga teacher training that had like a bazillion questions on samadhi (laughs) that became a joke. Um, you know, but yeah, sadhana too. Sadhana is something I bring into the book as well. And yeah, the yamas and niyamas. Um, but it it is kind of mind blowing how like you could say meditation breath work in addition to the posture. So like three limbs, we know it, but for the most part, like when Westerners think of yoga, it's just one limb. It's just the postures. Like most people don't even, especially if you don't do yoga, you think of it as just movement. You don't really realize the meditation breath work aspect to it, which are two of the other limbs. I'm not as good with the Sanskrit. I'll be the first to say that, but yeah. But yoga doesn't care. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Okay. So yoga, now you're teaching now, and it's cool that it set you up for keynote speaking. I think about that too, because I teach and then I host an online community and I'm starting to do retreats and speak in front of people. And I'm like, I'm so glad that I have this yoga teacher experience because this is like prepping me for doing everything else that I'm going to do. Like, this is just a, such a good little skill to be building. Yeah. Um, I agree more. I, so I have a question on like inner child work. And I think you mentioned mm. something about time travel that kind of blew my mind. And I just want to like just unpack that a little. I, I had to, um, where'd I mention that? Um, it might've been on your podcast when you read about your. Right. I know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I forgot you listened to that and I, or no, I forgot. I read that portion. So, um, yeah, inner child work is a interesting thing, you know? And when we talk about inner child work, like, what does that mean? And it, it, it is very, mind-blowing and one of my favorite movies growing up was Bill and Ted you know and um, those type of movies too I can't think of other ones in the current moment but there's those type of movies with like time travel and shifting timelines if this happened back to the future that was another movie I loved as a kid which all like go figure I love those right you know (laughs) it's interesting because some people be like oh you are this way now because those are what you were interested in your youth whereas I'm like I think I was interested in those because I came through with that either way, whatever. So going back to inner child work, um, I haven't been the biggest, like I don't have the most experience in doing inner child work, but I had one experience that I touched on in the book that did blow my mind. It was essentially, I had this memory or this visitation through a guided, um, inner child visualization where I visited 
myself as, I don't know, maybe you could say 10 years old. And it just happened through this meditation. It wasn't a, it wasn't really even a conscious memory that I knew it was there, but I don't really like think about it a lot. And I had a dagger next to my wrist. I had come home from, um, temple that night. And I was very angry. I was a very angry kid. And I didn't want, I was rebelling against something, probably just having to do the religion stuff and it, not whatever, find this dagger. And that's all I remembered ever. And in that visualization, I was my older self send talking with my younger self and actually there, I could feel myself there in that moment. And I could be, go back to that age when I felt that there was something inner interjecting me from actually like cutting myself or doing anything, any harm to myself. And in that moment, like my mind just blew. And even now I can feel it in my body too. And it's like, it's very hard going back to earlier in the podcast when we were talking about spiritual awakenings being disorienting because like we can sit here now and if you've never really had like a really profound deep experience like that it's you might be re meeting this with resistance i mean here i am having had a lot of profound deep experiences like that where even recounting the story i'm like yeah but is that actually true you know like because the ego gets in the way but i know it was true and that's kind of how this healing works like it's so hard to understand but it had i not done this inner um inner child guided meditation what was it like two years ago myself wouldn't have travel back in time to interject so would i still be here today and in another timeline taking a step further i'm not here today right and there's an amazing movie i think it's called um convergence or something like that i could look it up but it's this movie about uh comet and how like this dinner couple sees a comet and they're all on different timelines and it actually explains the concept of timelines pretty well because it is very confusing to even explain timelines like i feel like i understand it now to a certain extent of something that rings true for me but it's hard to explain you know yeah absolutely i'm just starting to kind of have that stuff drop in and even multi-dimensional stuff I'm just now starting to understand that. And like, I had a moment when I was in Sedona recently, um, like last month and I was watching my feet walk on the red dirt and I was kind of alone, but the group I was with was up above. And I had this moment where like, it wasn't this time that I was walking on the dirt. It was almost like I was seeing myself in the future, leading another group. It was just like, oh, maybe I'm supposed to do retreats in Sedona. Like maybe I'm seeing myself here at another timeline. And that was like one of the first times that I had really truly like been consciously aware that that was happening. And I was, and then I kind of pulled out of it and I was asked my mentor about it. And she's like, well, yeah, you're multidimensional. Why wouldn't you do that? And I'm like, okay, I don't. So I'm, that kind of stuff is just now starting to download. Like, what do you have on multidimensional anything? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm very connected to like the extraterrestrials, aliens. Sorry. I, I Googled um, the movie <laughs> so I could send you a link and then the trailer started to play, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm really connected to ETs and things like that so much that like I was doing all the things to call in like extraterrestrial activity. One of my best friends has the most incredible stories with ETs and aliens, all that type of stuff. Uh, I've had a few UFO experiences 
experiences in the past couple of years. One that was massive. Um, I haven't really had anything that's that noteworthy worth sharing other than the massive UFO one. Um, But most of it is like really just uh, this inner knowing. And the biggest thing I'll share too is like uh, in July of 2020, there were the fires in where I live, Santa Cruz and surrounding areas. And I was going to Tahoe for summit. And as I was driving there, my dad lives about an hour away in a town called Gilroy at Gilroy. And, um, he was just, just in case they needed to evacuate, like starting to gather things. And he found this alien necklace and he sent a picture of it to me, uh, while I was driving. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. He goes, I found this in your kid's stuff. Go, All right, cool. I don't remember that, but that's dope. And my dad always told me, and I don't really remember this, but he used to tell me still does like used to throw temper tantrums when you're a kid, you'd say, you're not from, I'm not from this plant. I'm from the plant Zotar and you're not my real parents and all this type of stuff. I'd even say Jim Carrey was my real dad, which like, who knows where that came from, but it's interesting in hindsight to see how outspoken he is on spirituality because my favorite movie as a kid was Con Air. And had I said Nicolas Cage, that would be a very different story, you know, versus like Jim Carrey. So that's just interesting, all of that. Anyways, I'm driving to this summit. My dad sends me a picture of my alien necklace from when I was a kid. Next day, this girl comes up to me. We didn't even really know each other that well at the time. Like we were just meeting basically. Now she's one of my best friends, not because of this, just how things happen. But she goes, hey, I have a channel message for you. And she doesn't know me. And I go, "Uh, yeah, what is it? She goes, you're not from this planet. (laughs) I go, oh, you don't say like, yeah, I kind of know that, but thanks for telling me. And then I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. I just got a a text from my dad yesterday where he sent me this alien necklace for no reason. And then the next day I was talking to another friend. She's like, well, you said that channelers say that you're an Arcturian from the planet Arcturus. And I go, yeah. She goes, okay, well, let's Google the Arcturian. So we Googled to see what they look like because that's what you do these days. Right. And the way the Arcturians look is exactly what that necklace looked like. Now, most of the time when we see aliens, especially if it's going to be like some kid thing or whatever, it's going to be like this green thing, right? Well, Arcturians are blue and they have a kind of a different shaped head. It's a little bit more oval. And this necklace was blue and the shape of the head matched uh, what Arcturians look like as opposed to the traditional green, more rounded alien head. So that's when it was like, okay, there's really something here. Um, So having said all that, I've worked with a Chandler and she's like, I, I forget. I've worked with a lot of Chandlers. This specific one told me like I had so many things in my childhood. I didn't even tell her like all this other stuff. You know, she just came out saying it and how I had so much activity with uh, ETs and UFOs and all that. And I don't remember any of that. Um, here I've been the past few years, not as much in the past year, but definitely in the first year and a half, two years of the spiritual journey, really like calling in experiences. And I don't have that much to share, unfortunately, other than just like this deep knowing. Now, having said that, there are what's called the dancing stars. I call them the dancing stars. This is homework for you guys, but next time you're maybe tonight, 
<laughs> next time it's dark out and you can see this the stars if you don't have light pollution or it's not too overcasty where you live or whatever try to make contact with just one star and just look at that one star and you can do this with most stars you'll start to notice that it starts to dance in different directions sometimes up and to the left then to the right then it comes back down and i don't know what that is I really don't. If you Google it or if you look at what some people are, will explain it as, they say it's the trick that's playing in your in the way your eye perceives it. That does not ring true with me. That does, I do not believe that. I've been told by channelers it's kind of like a wink. Um, they're saying, "Hey, we see you," you know. And some of them could be ships. I'm not sure. I'm just saying, check it out. See what happens for you. See what comes up for you. See uh, what that does. Having said that, I've seen a few UFOs over the past few years, and one of them was uh, there was this massive grid, and I could see like the disco ball. If you guys have ever looked up at night and been able to kind of see through the veil and see the disco ball container that kind of separates Earth from space outer, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's really hard to see, and you can't really force yourself to see it. It just kind of happens. Um, so anyways, saw that. And then all of a sudden there's a grid, almost like a Pac-Man maze. And this UFO is up long. It was tracing it. And this was going on for hours. And there was a group of us um, overlooking this. And I did a whole podcast about it. That was a couple of years ago. And that was the most profound thing. And then Thoth came flying through um, all kinds of crazy stuff, wild stuff, I should say. But yeah. Wow. So yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I have friends and you've heard it. I'm sure. And other people have heard it that have great stories. Like mine's like, you know, it's more of like just this inner knowing and I'm not attached to it. Like I know my role is probably similar to your role. Uh, you know, my role is to, to be the bridge. And I've had a lot of synchronicities and messages recently. That's like kind of got me back to be more human and to do more of the human things. And yes, it's great. I've had all these experiences, but I always say like, when you're starting to feel like you're swimming upstream, you know, that's a gentle nudge to get you to go with the flow of the river versus mm -hmm. upstream. And then more gifts will be allotted to you to help you with your journey. And that's kind of where this whole journey of calling in more like like alien stuff and all that type of stuff has led me to be like, no, that's not really your path though. Like, it's good for you to know that and experience that, but like, you need to be focused on how you can be the bridge for others that are hearing the call to help them with their journey. And a lot of those people may surpass you too and go deeper, but your role is to really be that bridge. So I'm good with that. And um, I'm good with where I'm at now. It was frustrating at the time, just being like, but I want to know, I want to <laughs> see it. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. I do. And I'm glad you said the bridge thing. I was thinking that too. So what I feel like my role is now with the bodybuilders. So my community, I have a thing called conscious champion and I'm basically bringing in mindset and spirituality to the bodybuilding industry. And so like kind of bridging that gap. And now I have a mastermind and all this different stuff. Um, but it reminded me of like what you're doing too, and that you are going the spiritual way, but have you thought about bringing it back to like the business culture, like the hustle culture who needs a little bit more of the yin, like soul. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, where my focus is now, because when I first started writing the book, the, it was more going to be geared towards workaholic that we're starting to 
you know, feel that there's something more and like a gentle invitation to show them how, but then through the book writing process, I start talking about extraterrestrial soul contracts, timelines, inner child work, and, you know, all the plant medicine, all the things and end up being a book about how to integrate spiritual awakenings, as opposed to like spirituality 101. Mm -hmm. So now that I'm getting to keynote speaking and going to be speaking to more business, I'm like, all right, let me really go through this book and see what, what I can use from this that is most practical practical and usable for people that are more at the beginning stage, because I have to meet them where they're at. And like, even though I love talking about this, this other stuff, how can I make it more digestible and easy for them to actually take action? So that's kind of where I'm at right now, just kind of distilling it and working on my messaging and everything else. And um, I'm excited for the challenge. You know, I've done a lot of different things from coaching agency, swag company, all that different stuff. Of content creation but this feels right and um i'm stoked about it so yeah good i'm stoked for you it sounds it sounds like it's in perfect alignment and it blends the two worlds together to make it like a really fulfilling way forward to help people and continue on your spiritual journey hell yeah danny yeah. And I just, I, so I posed a question, um, like on my Instagram and in my, in my conscious champion community, and I did have somebody that wants to know something. Mm-hmm. Um, actually I have two questions. So what can one do to prepare themselves to be more open during a spiritual awakening? That's from Tina. What can one do to prepare themselves to be more open during a spiritual awakening? I, I think it's self-love. Everything for me comes back to self-love and without getting on my narrative about the m- misalignment of the, the talk about Dharma mission and purpose and the external pressures of that and how that causes more and maybe all that's necessary is to go within and self-love. But yeah, I think it's kind of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about as opposed to find ourselves uh, guilting and shaming ourselves because, oh, I didn't meditate. I didn't do this. It's like, no, but what am I going to do that I can love myself the most and Mm -hmm. fill my cup up first? And I do think it's um, the most important thing we can work on is what is true to us. And, you know, that has to do with adversarial voices that come in, the external pressures. So, whatever self-love looks like for you. For me, one thing I adopted was every morning waking up first thing when I wake up, just sitting in bed, taking a moment and be like, how, what can I do to love myself today? You know, it's a very simple thing to implement. Okay. I love that. And I think spirituality too, is a journey towards the self. And as you start to understand yourself more, you start to understand the universe more. So by self-love, I feel like it opens that doorway to, to understanding all of that. Totally. Cool. I love that self. Um, and like, how do we know when our soul is speaking, when our soul is telling us something to do versus the head, the ego, the logic, the reason, how do we know to start? And you mentioned your guides and stuff like that. And you talk to them. So I think a lot of people too are new to guides, but they want them and they're curious and they don't know when their soul is telling them to do this job or quit this job or when they're, how to, how to tell between your head and your heart. Yeah, it's a great question. The first thing I'd offer is check out the book called um, Ask Your Guides by Sonia Choquette. Um, she does an amazing job of describing all the different sorts of guides 
and what they do and how I connect with them. And I'll tell you, when I first sat in ceremony with ayahuasca, they called in like Archangel Michael and uh, spirit guide this, spirit guide that. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I didn't learn any of that growing up Jewish. Um, none of that. I didn't know about the archangels at all. And I was like, what? So I went from that to being like, oh yeah, I'm a total believer in connecting in them. So that's why I love the book so much because it talks about all the different sorts of guides and how to connect with them. But it all comes down to slowing down and you know slowing down can look so many different ways but you're going to miss the whispers and the synchronicities if you don't slow down so how can you slow down and then um that's really how you're going to bring in more intuition and see the signs and things like that mm. So bringing more soul into your life, because if you slow down from life for a second, from all the masculine energy, then we'll be able to hear those little whispers. Yeah. And it goes back to what I was talking about with the upstream versus with the flow of the river, right? Like if you're feeling like everything is going wrong and you can't, whatever, whatever those negative labeled negative experiences and feelings are bringing up, then it's just a simple evaluation of, okay, how can I do things that are more in alignment with my own truth? And when you do that, you'll start to go with the flow of the river. And then those, uh, those uh, synchronicities and signs and intuition sermon, and all that stuff will start to come through, but there's too much chaos. Otherwise, then of course, so many things, right. Um, removing distractions. Like for me, I was obsessed with fantasy football and watching football and gave that up completely. Um, the media, all, you know, shows and TV and store like right now, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to say it, but there's something at the time this recording that happened in the media with actors. That is just a huge thing to distract us and, and talk about like nonsense. And I'm not even going to give it more time than that, but like that, that is looking at this stuff and not engaging with it and being like, what is this, you know, do it because engage with things that light you up, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm so, we, you've mentioned synchronicities a lot through this talk and like, I live for that shit. I get so Same. excited. Yo, if, if like the numbers line up this morning, driving to yoga, there's four or five on the license plate popped in front of me, but, and then on my mileage was five, five, five. And I was just like, yes. So I love signs. I live for signs. It makes me so excited to be, and like, I feel like the universe is talking to me, like what mm -hmm. an exciting thing to do. So I'm, I'm happy that you've uh, shared a little bit about synchronicities and mentioned that word because it's uh, what I live for. <laughs> same. I feel the same way. And that's an interesting thing to talk about too, in terms of spirit numbers. But one of the ones I see a lot is 808 or 818 and eight is very, um, mean it's something meaningful to me. My birthday's five, eight, 88. And then I'm really like big on the symbol of infinity and the meaning behind that and could go into that, talk about in the book a bit, um, and then have a strong connection in Hawaii. 808 is the area code for Hawaii. So, um, yeah, one thing I would like to mention though, is a lot of people are like, Oh, spirit number, like 1111 or whatever, to your point of seeing fives repeating, like 
it could be three, five, seven, nine, you know, it could be anything. And then if you keep seeing like this same recurring message, like maybe that's a spirit number, maybe it's the anniversary of the death of a loved one or whatever. It doesn't have to be just repeating of the same numbers, like 11, 11, you know, a lot of us get, and then of course, Googling it, I do it too. And with animals, like, you know, but can we pause for a second before we Google and be like, what's the spiritual meaning of nine 11, you know, okay, well, how do I feel in this moment? And what's that bringing up for me? Then let me go have fun and Google it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I agree hundred percent. And like yeah. little animals, like dragonflies was it for a while. Now it's mm-hmm. deer birds. I see all the time hawks. And it's just like, I just relish in it for a moment without needing to know what it means. I, like, I feel like I just have this knowing that like, that's a, that's something for me. And maybe everything's a message. Like everywhere we look, the universe is always trying to communicate with us. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) So everybody keep your eyes open, look for synchronicities, your guides, the universe, everything is speaking to you. It makes it so much more fun. You know, I had this um, video series I was doing for a while on YouTube called Brotuality, where I take broy type movies and show the hidden spirituality. And um, in it, one of the fun sayings I would say is like, you know, it's easier to live. I don't remember what I'd say, but it was something along the lines of like, we can choose to live in a world of magic or not. You know, it kind of goes back to that Pixar movie um, onward. That's a good movie if you guys haven't seen it, but in the first two minutes, like they show all these magical creatures that lost their power because they're engulfed in technology. Well, that's a true story, you know? So yeah, that's a dope one to check out. Onward. I love Pixar stuff. Onward. Yeah. It's so good. Oh my God. It sounds good. And I have a, a sign on my thing that says, uh, the world is as magical as you allow it to be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it is magic and it is fun. It's a, it totally makes life so much more fun. Totally. Um, and before we wrap up, uh, my last question is, so this podcast is called talking to each other home and, um, what is home to you? Mm. Apparently it's Zotar. <laughs> Yeah. You know, this planet doesn't feel like home to me. Um, I always say that like, even during my highs of highs, when things are going amazing, there's still something there that just feels off, but I mean, I'm distracted from it. And then in my lows or even in my periods that aren't high or not low, like I can still feel it. Um, And I just need to come back to, you know, being centered, doing grounded stuff and enjoying what's going on now and not getting too, um, you you know, lost in all that stuff. Cause I, I very much align with like Dolores Cannon's work, the three waves of volunteers or the concept of star seeds, kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, All their extraterrestrial stuff. I'm, I'm very much like you know, align with that. So having said that, like earth is my home now, you know, and I, for me, um, it doesn't feel like this is my home per se. Um, and there's such a cool conversation to be had there, but yeah, hope that answers the question. Yeah. Any, any way it's answered is fine with me. Yeah. Um, and so where can people find you in your book? And I'd like you to just mention your, the, the index that you made about spiritual like words for people to Mm. be able to figure out. That's cool too. 
Totally. Thank you. Yeah. So if you guys are new into spirituality and you find yourself lost in like uh, terms and jargons and all this type of stuff, like I was, I actually made a free download you can check out. It's called the free, I don't know what it's called, the ultimate guide to the spiritual glossary or jargon or something like that. But essentially it's like 50 plus words that I define that you'll hear in mindful and spirituality circles that when I first got down this path, I was like, what are these like feeling called, you know, like things like that. What does that mean? You know, or even what's a synchronicity, what's discernment, intuition, all simple stuff to that to, you know, timelines, um, and inner child work and whatever else. Anyways, you can check that out at soulseekers.com slash terms. And that's soulseekers with a Z S E E krz soulseekers.com slash terms and for my book and everything else you could go soullifebalancebook.com that has the all of the resources referenced within the book are there in addition to the link to purchase the book in addition to all my social media and my different projects so i right now i'm just kind of using that link as like the everything link and that's soullifebalancebook.com Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll definitely put the links in the description in the YouTube, Spotify, wherever I end up putting this podcast. Um, so people can find it really easy. I'm so excited. I feel like I want you to come and talk to my community, Sam, the, my conscious champions. I think they would absolutely love your information. Um, and I thank you so much for your time and energy today. I wish you all the best with your book. I hope everybody finds it and I hope they all love it because we all need it. (laughs) Thanks, Danny. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I love the work you're doing and, you know, we have very similar stories and I'd love to have you on my podcast called soul seeker to unpack yours and go deeper on your journey as well. And, um, Mm -hmm. it's always such a pleasure to speak with people that are in so much alignment on like similar backgrounds, similar trajectory and everything else. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And yeah, we'll have to talk about further stuff, further collaborations. Oh, and thank you all everybody for listening. I appreciate your time and energy more than you know, and I will see you on the next one. Peace.